So would you open your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33. We'll look at verses 12 through 23 this morning. Now, our visit to our word is going to take us all the way back to Israel's uh, infancy, if you will, as a nation. And yet we need to pause and take note that at this point in time, at the time of what we're going to read this morning, God had already delivered them from Egypt. Aren't you glad he delivered us from the world? Yes. He had already parted the Red Sea. He had already made bitter waters sweet. He'd already fed them with manna. He'd already supplied them with quail. And he had already brought them fresh water to drink out of a rock. And he had already given them victory over the Amalekites, their enemies. And then in Exodus 19, 1 to 6, we're told in the third month, get it, all that happened in three months. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai for they had departed from Rephidim and then had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain and Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. He has right by reason of being the creator to make that statement. Amen. Amen. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, what followed next was three days of national consecration in preparation for the Lord to come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And Moses was told, don't let the people get too close. Don't let them touch the mountain lest they see me and are consumed by my glory and power. And in Exodus 20, 18 to 21, we're then told all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, um, you speak with us and we'll hear but let not God speak with us lest we die. Isn't it funny that the very things that cause fear in them are the things people are longing for today. We want to see some mountain moving. We want to see some smoke and thunder and light machines and all that Amen. other type of thing. But they say, hey, we don't want God to speak to us directly. You speak to us. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not what? Sin. Sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. On the mountain, God gave Moses the ten good ideas. <laughs> what did he give him? Ten commandments. He was also given laws relating to human interaction. He was given uh, direction according to Sabbath observation and the feast days of Israel. Later, he would return with Aaron and 70 others of the elders of Israel. They saw God's presence. They shared a meal as a symbol of fellowship and went back down the mountain. Then Moses received directly from God instructions for building the ark and the tabernacle, how to fashion the instruments of worship and the garments for the priests and instructions for the offerings of the people. And then Exodus 24, 18 says, Moses was on the mountain for 
40 days while all this was given to him. Now, he's on the mountain 40 days and wonderful things are happening. Things aren't going so well at the bottom of the hill. In Exodus 32.1, we're told now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as, uh, as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So the people gave their gold jewelry to Aaron. He fashioned a golden calf from it and said, This is the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, I think it's interesting that he told Moses when confronted by this, that, you know, the people demanded this. They gave me their gold. I threw it in the fire. Out pops this golden calf. <laughs> now, Moses didn't know what was going on. But the God who sees knew everything. He still does. Amen. Yes. He told Moses what the people were doing and who they credited for their deliverance from Egypt. And the Lord told Moses, Moses, I'm going to consume these people in my wrath and I'm going to build up a great nation out of you. Exodus 32, 11 to 14 says, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them on the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel? Your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it for three, four weeks. <laughs> Thousand years. How long? Forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now, all of this history is necessary for us to make sense of what we're going to read this morning. As the Lord tells Moses and Israel, now it's time. Get away from the mountain. Get to the land I promised to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, our title this morning is something that every mother of multiple toddlers wishes for. What all of us need from time to time and what many are in pursuit of when they go on vacation. And it's just a statement we have all had made, uh, have made at one time or another. And that is, I just need some peace and quiet. Our title is Peace and Quiet. And we'll make sense of it here as we go. Now, the application for us is going to be the same as what we read in our text with the addition of something from the Gospel of Mark that we'll read in a moment. Sometimes we think God is taking too long. Is anybody here today? Sometimes we think God is taking too long and we try to make something happen ourselves. We try to help poor little God out because obviously he's lost track of time and doesn't know uh, how important what we ask him to do is. Now, sometimes people will even turn to something they can see, touch, and feel as a replacement for the true and living yet invisible God so that they can feel like something is happening or progress is being made. Now, it can even happen to people who have seen God do great things, which would include all of us. All of us. Yes. Case in point, this scene with Jesus and his disciples. 
In Mark chapter 4, 35 to 39, we're told, On the same day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, Let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, somehow, Jesus saying, get into the boat and let's go to the other side, was translated by the disciples as, let's go out on the Sea of Galilee and die in the middle of the lake. <laughs> Jesus told them where they were going, right? So where were they going to go? To the other side. And like all the Israelites had seen in three months, the disciples at this point in time had already seen Jesus heal. They'd seen him cast out demons. They saw him handle the accusatory Pharisees. And then the group was told by the one who did all these things, let's cross over to the other side. Yet because there was a storm between departure and destination, they asked Jesus after all they had seen and heard, don't you care? Don't you even care that we are perishing? Now, the word rest in our PowerPoint verse from uh, chapter 33 of Exodus and verse 14 means to be quiet. The word peace in Mark means hush or be quiet. So how do we arrive at and stay in peace and quiet when the storms of life are raging? And when we're waiting and wondering, when is the Lord going to act? Where is he in the midst of all this? And we'll find our answers all the way back at Mount Sinai after the people had erred exceedingly and played the fool. So let's start with verses 12 through 14 of Exodus 33. And would you stand in respect and honor of the infallible word of God and read them with me, please. Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 14. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Lord, we are uh, longing for that, and even jealous of that rest, and we pray, God, in the midst of all the turmoil we're seeing and experiencing today, nationally and personally, that you would grant us that peace that passes understanding, that has the capacities to guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Please speak to our hearts, we pray, and give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. We ask it in and through the name above all others, the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I have to say, I love the interaction here between Moses and the Lord because it reveals a level of intimacy that we need to understand that we have as those who are in Christ's new creations. We may not always take advantage of it, and sometimes I don't think we even realize what exactly it means to be in Christ and how the veil was rent when Jesus died and a way was made to access the most holy place and we can come boldly, meaning with confidence, into the very presence of the Lord and find him to be a present help in time of need. 
But just as Abraham had a comfortably enough uh, to negotiate relationship with God, here Moses displays that same kind of comfortableness. He says to the Lord, you tell me to bring up this people. You tell me to take them to the promised land. You tell me that you know me by name and that I have found grace in your sight. Yet you haven't told me who's going with you. Now, here's the interesting thing about that particular comment. In the last chapter, in verse 34 of 32 of Exodus, the Lord says, Now therefore go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sins. Speaking of the golden calf incident. And then in chapter 33, 1 to 3, we're told, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here. Aren't you glad that when we need instruction more than once, God is willing to give it? <laughs> when we don't listen the first time, he'll get us to where we need to be. Don't believe that? Ask Jonah. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it, and I will send who? My angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a what? Stiff-necked people. I'm glad there's none of those around these days. Now, twice the Lord told Moses, I'm sending my angel with you. And since this angel is specified as my angel, we can be safe in knowing that this is none other than the angel of the Lord, an Old Testament appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, pre-incarnate simply means it's a way to describe the Son of God before he came in the likeness of sinful flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us, as John 1.14 says. Now, Jesus was not ever an angel in the sense of a created being. Amen? Amen? But the word angel in the Hebrew and the Greek means a messenger. And he not only is the messenger of God, he's the message of God. And God sent him into the world as the message of salvation. Now the word angelos in the Greek, the word that's translated as angel in the Hebrew, is also used to describe a prophet, one sent by God to speak to the people. And the Lord told Moses, I'm sending my angel to go with you or even before you. Now, our text and title are appropriate because in both cases, in Exodus 33 and Mark 4, God's people are told, change your location. And in both cases, the Son of God was going with them. He goes with us too. Amen. When the Lord brings those difficulties or allows those difficulties in our lives, the storms of life, God is always with us. Now, both groups had seen the miracles of God. Both groups have been given a geographic destination, the land promised to the fathers in Moses' case, the other side of the Galilee in the case of Jesus' disciples. Moses wanted more assurance before proceeding. The disciples didn't like what was happening between departure and destination. And the Lord told Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Jesus said to the source of the disciples' anxiety and fear, peace be still. Now, here's our first point. You ready for this this morning? Yes. Listen, God has already done enough for us to have peace and quiet. Yes. Amen. 
God has already done enough for us to have peace and quiet or to be able to be still and know that he is the Lord. Moses had seen the power of the Lord and was told twice the angel of the Lord would be with him. The disciples had seen the power of the Lord and they were told where they were going, which implied they were going to get there in spite of what they were seeing. Has the Lord already told us he will never leave us nor forsake us? Yes. Has he already told us nothing can separate us from his love? Yes. Has he already told us no one can snatch us from his hand? Yes. Has he already made us alive in Christ Jesus? Yes. Listen to what he said in John 14, 1 to 3 at the Last Supper to his grieving disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, it's interesting that the word translated as let actually means stop. Jesus said, stop letting your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, believe in me the same things and way you believe in God the Father. And then he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare. Here's the Lord going before us again. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, the Lord has given us an instruction that our location is going to change. In between that instruction and our arrival, there are storms. Yeah. And it seems like he takes too long to answer our cries and prayers at times. Is anybody here this morning? Amen. Now, has he already told us that where we are going or told us where we're going like he did Moses and like he did the 12? Yeah. Yes, we're going to the Father's house where there'll be spiritual failures yeah. and storms along the way. Yeah. That was awful quiet there. Yeah. Will he be with us in spite of those failures and storms? Yeah. Absolutely. So we can have peace and quiet in him. Now, think about when the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry ground during flood season. And the Lord told Joshua, select a representative from each of the 12 tribes, tell them to pick up a stone and carry it across the river and then stack them in order. And in Joshua 4, 4 to 7, then Joshua called the 12 men whom he, whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be what? A sign among you when your children ask in time to come saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel for how long? Forever. Think about what Jesus said to the disciples at the Last Supper. 1 Corinthians 11:23 to 25, Paul recounts what the Lord told him about that particular event. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body broken for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took up the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in what? Amen. Remembrance of me. I think maybe today needs to be a stone of remembrance for us all. 
then we need to remember all the things that God has done for us in the midst of all the turmoil, the struggles, and the pains of life. And I think we need to also remember God's faithful to, faithfulness to us after we have failed. Because yes. we all do, right? Yes. We all think sometimes He's taking too long. Come on, we fessed up to it earlier. Now, isn't that an accusation against the Lord? He's taking too long as though he doesn't do everything well and right. Isn't everything that he does right and true and perfect? I mean, he can't possibly do anything other than that. And during the great storms of life, we have to remember he's already done enough for us that so we can have peace and quiet through faith and trust in him. And I think we all need to back up to the same point in beginning our recounting of our stones of remembrance. And that is he has saved our perishing souls from a devil's hell. Amen. And he has super, supernaturally translated us from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen? Amen. Now, look at 15 to 17 and we'll keep moving through this interesting uh, scenario. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Does the Lord know you by name? Yes. Has he numbered the hairs on your head? Yes. Does he keep your tears in his bottle? Yes. Has he numbered our days? Yes. yes. He knows all things about us and he neither sleeps nor slumbers as he watches over us. The Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses says, if you're not going, we're not going. Amen. You ever feel like that? Lord, you got to give me something here. I got to know that you're in this with me and that you're leading me. And then Moses says this, from which we'll draw our point. If you're not with us, how are we going to be distinct from all the other peoples of the earth? If you don't go, then what's going to distinguish us from anybody else? And listen, one of the great tragedies in these last days of the church age is the effort of many in the so-called church who seem to think that the way we're going to communicate God's grace to the world is to say, we're just like you. We're just saved. We haven't changed at all. And we don't need to change in order to be saved. They believe that's what grace means. Still the same person, just saved and born again, headed for heaven. Well, the bad news for them is the Bible teaches exactly the opposite. That those who are saved by grace through faith should be nothing like the world. Amen. They shouldn't resemble the world at all. As a matter of fact, John, the beloved, would say in his first epistle that if you love the world, then the love of God is not in you. We shouldn't love the things of the world. Amen? Amen. Now, we're completely distinct in belief, actions, and behavior from all the peoples of the face of the earth. And this is what... Moses was saying to the Lord. And Paul would say to us in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18, not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Now, let me just say, I believe what's indicated here is the most intimate of relationships. We shouldn't be yoked 
with unbelievers. Certainly, this would apply to marriage. That's the most intimate of all relationships. After all, isn't Jesus and the church presented as a bride and groom? Yes. So we are not to be unequally yoked together in these intimate, earthly, lateral relationships with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell where? In them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says El Shaddai, or Lord Almighty. Now, what Moses was reiterating to the Lord is that he wanted the world to know that God was with them because it was Israel's relationship with God that distinguished them from everybody else. And the Lord says in reply, because you have found grace in my sight, have we found grace in the eyes of the Lord? Yes, yes we have. Because I know you by name, does the Lord know our names? Yes. Then he says in reply to Moses and us, by implication, I will make it known to the world that you are my chosen people. And what Moses is saying is that if other people are going to see God's grace at work, it has to be through God's chosen people in your presence within and us. And in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, Peter says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people of God, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Now, it's been stated, but let's put it in package form. Here's our second point. Listen, the peace of God's people reveals God's presence to a lost and dying world. The peace of God's people reveals God's presence to a lost and dying world. Now, remember, peace and quiet are not, not circumstance dependent. Since we are a chosen generation, yes, yes? yes. proclaiming God's praises behind enemy lines, called out of darkness. God's mercy is made known to others through us who have experienced his marvelous light. Now, here's another thing for us to remember about that. I'm reaching all the way back again to Israel's uh, beginnings as a nation. This and their inhabitants in the promised land. Joshua 1, 5 to 7, this scene unfolds for us where Joshua is told by the Lord directly, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you, kind of. <laughs> so I will be with you. Isn't that reassuring? Yeah. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Do we have that promise? Yes. So we can be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper where? Wherever you go. Why? Because the Lord was going with him. As he was with Moses, so he would be with Joshua. Can you imagine being Moses' replacement? That had to be intimidating for Joshua, right? 
Now, what a wonderful thing for the Lord to say to Joshua, but it's also consistent with what we see in our text. It was the presence of the Lord that distinguished God's people from the world. As the Lord was with Moses, so he was with Joshua, so he is with me, so he is with you. Amen. 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 Now, let's add one more thing before we move on. Last week, we talked about our amazing heritage as a country. We talked about our responsibility to stand up for what our founders sought to establish as an indivisible nation under God, where all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with unalienable rights. Now, we also noted how far we have fallen. We're a long way from that, aren't we? Now, now more than ever, the peace that passes understanding and guards our hearts and minds, the peace and quiet we have through Christ Jesus is necessary. And listen this morning, in the midst of all that is going on, and while we exercise our rights as American Christians like we should, like Paul did when he appealed to Rome, when he was arrested and uh, his life was threatened, as we are exposing the darkness by proclaiming the light, let's not forget our point. And our point is that the people of God reveal God's presence to a lost and dying world. God is with us. Amen. We're going to make it through. Amen. He's given us a destination and that's where we're going. Right. Now the peace of God that's displayed in our lives because we've set up stones of remembrance, remembering all the wonderful things he has done for us should communicate to the world that there is a God in heaven who interacts with mankind. In John 1.14, we're told the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace, Grace and, truth. and truth. Those two aren't mutually exclusive. Some seem to think today that all you can preach or should preach is grace, and others uh, swing the pendulum the other way, where all we can do is speak the truth, and we should speak the truth, right? Yes. Shouldn't we be full of grace when we do? Amen. And that's what Ephesians will tell us when we get there in chapter 4, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth out in love. We may grow up into all things, uh, all, grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. Listen, as we speak the truth in these last days, let's make sure we're doing it in love. Let's make sure we're communicating that we are his disciples, walking in the peace that passes understanding, speaking the truth filled with grace while seasoned with salt at times because we are the expression of the mercy and grace that we have received from the Lord and those attributes declare to the world that they're missing something that is exclusive to those with a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, our closing set of verses are probably the most famous amongst the one, ones we'll look at here of these uh, three sections. And it again just sees the relationship between Moses and the Lord becoming more and more intimate, more and more personal, more and more beautiful. And that's how our relationship with God should continue to progress as well. Amen? Amen. So look at 18 to 23 and we'll wrap up our time. And he, Moses said, please, Show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man, no man can see me and live. And the Lord said, here's a place by me. 
and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, in response to the Lord's response, Moses says, please, show me your glory. And maybe some of you students are thinking about verse 11 or maybe Jacob's wrestling with God in Genesis where we're told Jacob in 3230 of Genesis, Jacob called the place of the name Peniel for I have, or, uh, Peniel, I'm sorry, for I have seen God, how? Face to face and my life is preserved. Exodus 33:11 wrote this. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And now here the Lord says, Nobody can see my face and live. Now, are these biblical contradictions? Well, there are a couple of ways for us to understand the content of our verses, and they're not contradictory at all, or to those we just read. Does the Bible say it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment? Yes. Hebrews 9.27. That's what the Bible says. Is there a whole generation that's not going to die, but is going to be instantaneously supernaturally translated in the presence of the Lord? So are there exceptions to the general rule? Yes. Absolutely. There is for one generation. Happen to think we're that generation. Amen. I hope we're out of here today, don't you? Amen. Some of you are thinking, I hope we're out of here before the end of this message. Well, shame on you. Now, I hope that too. So, Now, Jacob said, I've seen God and lived, noting that his situation was exceptional. He had wrestled with the pre-incarnate Christ. Remember, Colossians says he, Jesus, is the image, the icon, the physical manifestation of the invisible God. He saw God in a physically manifested form of a human and wrestled with him. Now, most commentators note also that the phrase face-to-face -face in Exodus 33 is a figure of speech, and it implies an intimate relationship. As we have noted, God spoke to Moses like friends talk but he never saw his face, is what some interpreters say. Now, the other thing I think we need to take note of, that's a potential interpretation, is that what Moses asked the Lord if he could see. He said, show me your what? Glory. Show me your glory. Now, Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God used to be, our God is a consuming fire. Now, it seems as though the glory of the Lord was too much for any person to see. For God's majesty and glory and all of its fullness would simply be a consuming fire. It would consume anyone who looked directly upon him. For the Bible says God is too, too holy to look upon sin. So he looks upon our sin through the blood of his son. Now what did Isaiah say when, it, when the Lord called him to be a prophet? Do you remember in Isaiah 6, 4 to 5, we're told the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with what? Smoke representing the presence of the Lord or the spirit of God. So I, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen who? The king, the Lord of hosts. That could, be, could also be translated the Lord of armies. Isaiah saw what the children of Israel saw on Mount Sinai, and he was undone by it. Moses 
could not see the fullness of God's glory and survive it. Jacob didn't see it either, but he, like thousands of others, though in pre-incarnate form, saw Jesus, the man who was fully man and fully God. Then the Lord says, I will be gracious and compassionate to whomever I will, but even you, Moses, cannot see my face. Now, there's implications there about the sovereignty of God, but I think we all understand God does what he wants. Yes. It's his planet. He's the creator. He can do whatever he wants, right? Now, the Lord then explains what he is going to do. He says, I'm going to hide you in a crack in the rocks. And when I pass by and my full glory is with me, I'm going to cover you with my hands so you're not consumed. Now, then when I have passed by, you're going to see me from the back and you will see the remnants of my glory as I pass by. Now, he says, you'll see my back, but you won't see my face. Now, our final point of application this morning about peace and quiet is kind of a realization. And I think it's one we all know. Well, I know it's one we all know, but I think it's one we are quick to forget but need to remember. So listen this morning. God does not always do what we want. We could just stop it right there, right? God does not always do what we want, but he will always be what we need. God does not always do what we want, but he will always be what we need. Now, God didn't say to Moses, come on, Mo, haven't you seen enough? I mean, I told you to put your stick in the Red Sea and it parted right in front of you. You walked across on dry ground. How much proof do you need, bro? <laughs> I mean, they had a tight relationship, right? And he didn't just say, no, Moses, I'm not going to show you my face. He said by his, ap his actions, listen, Moses, my glory is going to be too much for you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you on the rock, hide you with my hand, pass by, remove my hand so you can see some of my glory as I have passed by. Now, we've mentioned over the past few months that the word rest has many meanings. It means the cessation of labor. It means to be still and be quiet like it does in our text. It can be translated to relax and repose like being on vacation or take a break, if you will. But the most important aspect of rest and our target from our time here this morning comes from our theme verse from the, uh, for the year and the one that follows it in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest, rest peace and quiet. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for, my, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, there is an implied action on our part in Jesus' statement. We have to take the yoke. We have to accept him as Lord and Savior and learn from him, realizing he is gentle and lowly in heart, just like the Father says here to Moses that I am merciful and compassionate or gracious and compassionate. But yet I think we've all felt like Moses at one time or another. Lord, I need to see something. I need to see your glory. I need to see something supernatural. I need you to amaze me with your power. I need to see a miracle or I don't know if I can keep going. Did you guys go home? Where are you? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Lord, I need some kind of man manifestation, something tangible, a word from you. I need something to keep going. And the Lord may or may not say yes to those requests, but peace that quiets you all the way down to your soul is always there for your taking. Amen. Amen. 
because it's in him and he is with us. His presence has gone with us and he told Moses, I will give you peace and quiet. I will give you rest. Now, you know, this. I, when I prepare messages, I always you know, just am begging God, please tell me what to say. I do it when the worship time is going on. Please don't let me mess this up. Your people are too important. They need to hear from you and not from me. And yesterday as I was preparing, I have to say this, and I even put it down in my notes so I would say it. God just prompted me to say this because it's for somebody's. Maybe it's just one, maybe it's for multiple. But here it is, listen. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, no temptation, say no temptation. No temptation has no overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Yes, amen. But God is faithful, yes. who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now listen, here's why I think there's application for some or all of us here today at some point in time. Some say, Lord, remove this temptation. This is what they want. God's answer is I made a way of escape and I have never let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. I've already done what you need. Did the Israelites need to make a golden calf? Because they got tired of waiting. No, not at all. Do we need to resort to other things when it seems as though God is taking too long? No. Do we need to ask God for things that he's already done and provided for us? Like removing the temptation. You know, I went through this myself. I've told you before, you know, in all my struggles to get over the booze thing when I first came back as a prodigal, I was so thankful for that song this morning, morning mentioning he's the savior of the prodigals. Yeah. Present. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And just the battle to get over the booze, the drugs and cigarettes and everything else fell away instantaneously, never to return. But I could not shake the booze thing until the Lord finally said, when I told him, you have to help me. I did. You're the one that keeps drinking. <laughs> He'd already made the way of escape. I was wanting him to remove the temptation. But he said, you know what? You can't bear it. Not too big for you. You got me. Amen. My presence will go with you. And listen, he may not do what we ask specifically all the time, but he will always be what we need. Amen. And therefore, we can always have peace and quiet. Listen, here's the beautiful thing all the way down to our souls. It doesn't get any deeper than that. Listen, that doesn't mean pain goes away or sorrow or scratching our head or even feeling like, God, why did you do this or not stop this or the other things that often go through our minds, but we always have to come back to, he's already done enough to give us reason to have peace and quiet, to rest in him. When what he has done for us is seen by the world and through our own peace that passes understanding, they're going to know there is a God in heaven who sets free and delivers when the very presence of God is revealed in our life. So let's have some peace and quiet. Amen. Amen. Doesn't that sound good? Amen. Boy, right about now it sure does. Let's have the peace and quiet that God has ordained and purchased for us through the blood of his own son, that we can have that 
glorious and restful relationship with him. Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. We thank you for the things that we have seen and heard, the miracles that we have watched you do, Lord, as we've seen transformed souls, people turning from darkness to light, the very greater miracles than the ones you did while you walked the earth that you referred to uh, in relation to your disciples. The greater things would they do than the things that you did, which would certainly imply the saving of perishing souls. And for that, we're grateful today. And Lord, we openly confess we don't understand why you allow what you do. Lord, we openly confess that the storms make us afraid and they cause us to uh, think in our hearts and minds things that aren't true at times, that, that you don't care and that we are perishing and not going to make it to our destination that you had pre-declared. So help us, God to keep our eyes fixed on you because you're what we need. And when your presence goes with us, we can have rest. And for that, we're grateful this morning. And Lord, I want to pray specifically for any prodigals in the room or online watching. And Lord, I pray you prompt their hearts to the things we said this morning and that prodigals would come home as we pray even for the salvation of those who are coming out of darkness into the light for the very first time. Thank you that you're still adding to your church daily those being saved. Add to your church today, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.